Let's get started by thanking our wonderful sponsors who make this show possible every week. We can't thank them enough. With more screen usage and indoor time, myopia, also known as nearsightedness, is increasing and getting worse in children. Now, certified eye doctors can prescribe my sight one day. The first and only FDA-approved soft contact lens to slow myopia progression in age-appropriate children. Visit coopervision.com to find a Brilliant Futures certified eye doctor near you. Welcome back to part two of my interview with Dr. Amanda Nanasi. In this episode, Dr. Nanasi shares sports vision exercises used to enhance sports performance. These vision exercises are used to train and enhance visual performance of both professional and non-professional athletes. If you're new here and you like our interviews, press like, subscribe, share, and hit the bell to get notifications of great new interviews, and please leave comments. So I want to turn our attention to, and so you have somebody who hasn't had a concussion, mm-hmm. and, they want to, and they want to enhance their visual skills. So tell us about how that is possible. What are some of the tests that we're going to do first to say, okay, somebody comes in, you have a professional athlete, maybe a football player or something from ML, uh, Major League Soccer. What tests, obviously we're going to make sure they don't need glasses, but what are the sophisticated tests that the public doesn't know about that we're going to run on these people? Oh, so uh, we can test a number of different aspects of vision in a number of different ways. And sometimes it might be using high-tech equipment and other times it may not. But the things that we want to look at, we want to look at not just their visual acuity, which is the, the quantity basically of what lines they can see, but contrast sensitivity, which is the quality of what they see. You and I both might be able to read letters off a 2020 line on a chart, but it doesn't mean that they look the same for both of us. And that's something that can be enhanced through not only correction, but also some types of training. We look at depth perception. What's contrast sensitivity? Just explain that. So contrast is... um, it's uh, like I said, it's like a quality of vision. Mm -hmm. So um, you might be able to see a letter A, but it might be definable as an A, but blurry or nice and sharp. So that's part of contrast. Contrast can also affect how well you can pick things out of um, a background, right? If you talk about um, the reason every uh, pitching mound is going to have some sort of a a backdrop at the back of the stadium to where you're not getting baseball, white baseball off of sky in the background. It's going to be a a set, set, uh, like a a green background, let's say, right? Um, To be able to accurately judge a target. Um, Contrast on a, a soccer ball would be different than a baseball because you have different colors in it. It's all about how you can pick out things uh, out of an environment based on that quality of vision that you're getting. Did I just confuse people maybe more? No, I think that's good. You know, we, the, the darkness, you know, so we can see the black and how black something is or how dark a letter is and then keep lowering the the the, the darkness of the letter until it kind of blends in. And that's one of the ways we could pick up contrast. Talk to me about, I'm really interested about a visual anticipation, you know, um, with those lights. Uh, talk about that. Yeah, so anticipation timing is something that we test with, like you, you were talking about light. So um, there are a number, number of different pieces of equipment. Um, they have the, the basin anticip- anticipation timer. Um, there was a speed track that Wayne Industries did. And now we have Synchrony that um, Synaptec has done. And basically think about um, if you're standing in front of a line like a one row of lights that extends towards you and you might have the the light farthest away from you flash a couple times and then all of a sudden all of them are are going to light up in sequence coming towards you and your goal is to be able to identify right when it gets to you and I feel like there are so many games now like even at Dave and Buster's that you guys might even be able to say like yeah I think I've seen a game like that where you have to see like how accurately you can judge when something's going to get to a target so it's a fun game to play but it's also a really important visual skill that again can be trained you first have to test it to see whether or not people tend to think that the light is going to get to them sooner than it actually gets there, or maybe they always respond too late 
And then you have to be able to figure out where the deficiency is. Is it that the visual system wasn't picking up the information fast enough? Or is it that I didn't have a motor response that was fast enough? Or was it a, a processing issue somewhere in between the two? Uh, so we test using those really cool pieces of equipment and then we can train using equipment. Um, I actually have a pair of Snaptech strobes on my desk. Um, so this is one of the ways that we train that skill. So if anyone's ever been at a club or something with a strobe light where everything flashes on and off, you know how it has that weird, you only see part of everyone's movements that makes them look all, all jerky. Um, so these glasses will flash dark and then clear to where you can see through them and then you can't see through them and you can uh, vary it at different speeds. You can isolate different eyes, different quadrants, and it creates a training effect. And there's been great research that's come out of Duke University actually recently talking about how um, if you train with um, different types of strobe glasses, you can improve your ability to anticipate when a target is going to get to you. you. You change your brain's pathways. So if I put these on and they flash, let's say they fast actually pretty fast and you throw a ball at me, I only see it in pieces of information, right? And then maybe I'm pretty good at catching it. So maybe we slow it down even more. So I only get less information. And then the training effect when I take these off and then I get to see the whole trajectory of the ball, it looks like it's in slow motion. You slow down the game. So not just with anticipatory timing, but any vision training we do, we wanna train and make everything harder and more difficult. So then when you're in your normal environment, everything seems a little bit easier. So can you use that with quarterbacks to help them throwing or, or wide receivers? Absolutely. So. Um, Quarterbacks are one of my, my favorite positions for this because think about visually what a quarterback is doing. A lot of people might just think about the fact that they have to accurately identify a player and get the ball to them, right? But they need to be able to not only see where that player is, they know the route, how fast they're supposed to be going, where they're supposed to get to their anticipated target, and then they have to judge how, how soon they're going to get there as well as take in their environment and read the rest of the field. And that we're training with these is great because you're limiting what you can see. So it's going to help them to read the field a little bit better as well as judge their target that they need to reach faster and more accurately. And how about for a wide receiver? How would it help them? So wide receivers, you need to know when that ball is going to get to you. So just like we talked about tracking that, that baseball coming towards you, they would be able to not only uh, build that pathway to judge the tra trajectory of the ball better, but also potentially limit parts of their vision. Because what if they have, you know, they have a, a corner with, with a hand in their face, you know, are they still able to keep that concentration and judge that target accurately with things that are, that are coming in as distractors. So visual reaction time is very important. Explain what that is and how can we train that and, and how is it important for baseball and soccer and football? Um, as far as how you can train it, I will tell you um, that there are a lot of different really basic training drills that I would say um, we should integrate with with every team and um, you know, you asked me to have some, a couple of different things to show. This is a tennis ball and this is one of my favorite things to train with because they're cheap, they're readily accessible and it's all how you use the tools, right? So again, we talked about anticipation. Um, it goes hand in hand with visual reaction time and that motor response. So if I have an athlete um, with their back to me and I say ball, and as I say ball, they have to turn around and the ball's already on the way to them and they have to react to it. That's, that's a specific skill that I want to train. I love doing this if, if it's someone that's even a soccer player, right? If you talk about doing this with a goalie um, or a keeper, you wanna use targets that are smaller than what they're normally used to working with. That way, when they have that bigger target again, it's easier. Um, you can get a little bit more sophisticated. Um, this is one of the tools that I like to use a lot. This is a Hiko stick. 
So rather than just throwing a ball at them, I can throw a target at them that has um, multiple things for them to track. And I can also change um, the trajectory based on the spin, how, uh, com how complicated I want it to be, tell them to catch a certain color, tell them to only catch this color with this hand, um, only, only catch it if I say one color and not another, let it go by. It's all about building that cognitive training in there with it because you gotta, you know, you gotta remember you talk about visual motor response. There is that, that missing piece in the middle of perception and cognition where I might take in visual information perfectly, but if I don't have that middle component to make me make that appropriate motor response, I'm not gonna do everything as well. And a lot of that comes from, um, from repetition from experience, but some of it can come by enhanced training. I'll show you a couple more cool things just because I have them. So this is a howl ring. Um, same idea though, right? You throw something at them and say, only catch this one specific thing. So it's a more uh, detailed target, kind of like you want a baseball player to, to be able to read the seams, right? So if you have baseballs that you're throwing with, um, with targets on them, a lot of people will do colors. A lot of people will do letters. Um, now it's turning to show and tell. So I actually made this. This is just a styrofoam ring that you can get from any like craft store. And then we uh, just taped it with electrical tape. You can do the same thing with this and tell them to catch certain colors. Uh, this is one of my favorite things to use. And these came from party city, <laughs> um, just different types of balls. And again, I could stack this and load with a, with a strobe lens if I wanted to, or I can just, um, just do it freestanding. I can throw these at athletes and say, um, you know, catch the football or the baseball at the basketball or the soccer ball go by. I can say that as you catch a baseball, tell me what you do with a baseball. So they have to say hit versus toss versus bounce. Um, add that type of a cognitive spin on it. Um, and again, it doesn't, it doesn't have to be really expensive, um, but it's all about using everything properly and knowing what type of training you need to do. And a lot of times that's where professionals come in, where you need to just have that right guidance, because I would hate for an athlete to waste their time doing some of these drills um, where, look, they had an underlying vision issue. So no matter how much they train, their depth perception stinks because they can't see as well out of both eyes. Uh, we talked about contrast and I forgot I had these sitting on my desk. So uh, which one's going to have the better contrast on ice? Obviously the black one, um, put this on ice. It's a lot harder to pick up. So this is one of the things that we do with our, um, our ice hockey players. So with those st the sticks and the things that you made, which visual skill are you training? Let's look at it from a scientific point of view. So um, it depends on what I'm doing with it, but a lot of times you are looking at a visual motor reaction time. Um, you could say that you're looking at um, a visual motor quickness. You could even say that I could do anticipate, anticipate, anticipation, anticipation training, right? Because not only are, are you just watching something, it's not just vision tracking, it's, it's also anticipating when that color is going to get to you so you can catch it appropriately. Sometimes we'll do um, peripheral awareness type drills with this where, um, where we throw things from the side. Sometimes we'll do something called split attention where I have them doing one task. Um, here's another show and tell. So fit lights or something else that we Explain use. Explain that with the fit light, how that works. What, what is that and what, 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 uh, what does it train? So um, these light up. And I can change, uh, a, a kit of them has anywhere from six to 12 lights. And I can program them in any different way to light up with different colors. I can have just the centers, just the outside light up and I can put them anywhere I want. So if I'm working with a keeper, I might have them um, all over uh, you know, a wall spread out. And I can either have them light up at different times, again, we think of all those games that we see where you just have to hit whatever light lights up, which is that vision training? Yeah, 
not, I kind of, but not really. What I like to do uh, are program sequences. I have one that's just red, yellow, green, blue. So all of these will be on the wall and then four lights will light up at once and you won't know where the red, yellow, the green or the blue are going to be. And they have to deactivate these in that order and then another set lights up. So it adds a, um, a visual search aspect to it. It adds a peripheral awareness aspect to it because you have to use your soft vision for things like this. That's another thing that we train something, a central focused vision versus a nice soft focus. So you can really take in your environment. Um, a, a hockey player is not watching a puck move around, right? They're watching, um, they, they need to watch where the walls are. They need to look at where their opponents are. They need to also be able to, to know where the puck is. And that's something that you can train with the appropriate um, setup for whatever your drill is going to be. So when we're training peripheral awareness, why is peripheral awareness so important? Say in, we talked about hockey, baseball and football. So um, football, it's important to, in different ways, depending on the position, right? So quarterbacks need good peripheral awareness to be able to know um, who's about to rush them, right? And they also need to be able to read the field quickly, uh, multiple object tracking. If I don't at least say those words once, I would kick myself because to me, that is the key to making athletes safer. We need to be able to keep track of more than one thing at a time. There are, there are a few sports where it is just watch this thing at one time. Um, a baseball player at the plate is one of those times where they need to just watch and see what's happening, but they're not watching the ball. They, they don't have the ball to watch yet. So they have kind of a soft focus watching where the pitcher is until the ball gets released. And we hope that they can, you know, maybe see a pitch release or maybe read the scenes in order to get a better view. Um, that pitcher on the mound is not only paying attention to the, the guy at, at bat, but also who's on the bases to not make sure that making sure that the bases aren't getting stolen. Um, every sport has all of these components. You, what was the other one you asked about? You said football and what was the other one? Uh, football, baseball, uh, soccer. Yeah. So going even back to football, right? Um, a lot of times I run into situations where, um, can I do a, can I do a screening? And re remember, I, I don't just work with the dolphins. So I don't want people to think everything I'm saying is about them. We work with um, several different universities and high school programs. So if I'm running into a situation where I'm evaluating vision, sometimes people will say, well, do you need to, to screen the whole team? Like, do you need to see my linemen? And I'm like, well, do you ever get offsides penalties? <laughs> And, and that is all about reading everything around you. You have to make that reaction as soon as you know that you're in play, but you need to know what's happening around you to make that best and most appropriate response and avoid penalties. So I, there are very few positions, very few sports. I would probably struggle to tell you one that that is not an important skill. I assume most of the quarterbacks that come in could throw the ball 70, 80 yards. But not, not all of them are good quarterbacks because they can't read the, the defense, they get tackled quicker. Can you tell from doing visual skills testing who's going to have trouble when they're out there and who isn't, even though they're all great athletes? It's, it's definitely possible. And um, I'll, I'll tell you that sometimes it's, it's probably harder to see who's, um, who's going to be above average, then see who might have a weakness. Um, but I'll tell you that specifically um, working with UCF, when um, I was there several years ago when they had uh, many quarterbacks that were there and I needed to have someone run some, actually we're using fit lights. So I had fit lights set up across um, a wall and I wanted to get some footage of a quarterback that was going to throw the football. You can, these are super impact resistant. So I wanted them to actually throw the football at the target to deactivate them, which is, I mean, it's a really small target. If you consider, you know, usually they're using like nets or something like that. Um, and uh, Dylan Gabriel actually um, was one of the ones that we used. And um, at the time he was, you know, just like the rookie. And we looked at each other and we were like, 
wow, wow. He had amazing response time um, in his accuracy. Um, everything about his, his visual uh, evaluation that we did, we're like, this guy's going to be big. And of course he's doing fantastic. So uh, it's, it's great to sometimes uh, have a little bit of an idea how they're going to do in advance. Can you share any names of any other professional players that you've seen some great improvements? Ooh. Are you allowed? If you're not allowed, danger. that's okay. Yeah. yeah. And I, the only reason why I said the other name is just because, you know, we work with the team and that was something sure. that, you know, they were all really proud of how he did. Um, I'll tell you, working with professional athletes, though, it's not always amazing visual skills. And sometimes you would be surprised the athletes that have made it just amazing, you know, levels in their career. And um, they'll have different visual deficits that they have overcome their whole lives. And, and nobody even knows that they have them. Um, players that uh, you, you don't want to correct sometimes. And that's something that as sports vision specialists, um, we're always really keen on uh, if something's not broken, we don't always want to fix it, right? Especially in the middle of the season or in the, uh, the middle of something big. You know, if we want to try to do some refinement, it's never right in the, the peak of when they're, they're on the field and, or on the court and doing everything that they need to do. Um, and, and sometimes you adapt to different visual situations. And again, your brain has amazing neuroplasticity and you come up with different ways to compensate for things. And sometimes you can do more harm than good if, if you don't treat and train appropriately, um, you know, if I have somebody that, that has never had depth perception before, and then all of a sudden I show them depth perception, you know, and now they can see in 3D and for our, our general audience, that's going from watching a regular TV screen to putting on, you know, 3D glasses and watching a 3D movie. It is dramatically different. And it could be for, you know, a, a a good case if if you treat it and you train but if you just put somebody on there without you know letting them see how they're going to do in real space you can cause a problem i would imagine if somebody has very bad 3d or very what we call stereopsis mm -hmm. it would be very difficult for them to hit hit a baseball or catch a football absolutely but it's not impossible right they can definitely do it and even talking about baseball players with 3D or not 3D vision, that's one of the things when we're working with um, young athletes, we want to make sure that they have their, their whole head or at least both eyes facing the pitcher. Because especially with you know kids, they tend to have a very close stance and have one eye facing the plate where even if it's their dominant eye or their non-dominant eye, they're gonna do better if they can, they can have that depth perception. I notice a lot of baseball players have an open stance now. Is that because they want to try to get better uh, depth perception? I would love to say it's all because of vision, but I can't <laughs> say it is. I think there are a lot of other factors there, but uh, but I think that that it definitely helps them for sure. Uh, you're big into dynamic visual acuity. Mm -hmm. What is that and how do you train it? So that is the ability to see a moving target and not just a stationary target. That's one of those things that we test anytime we see an athlete. I think I derailed myself from your original question at one point, but anyone can see a, a stationary target, but it does take a different, um, a different skill to be able to see something that's the same size in a dynamic environment. And that could mean either the target is moving or it could mean that the person is moving or any combination of those two. Um, we know that dynamic acuity is linked to visual acuity. We know that the faster things are moving, the harder it is to see a smaller target. It's reduced by age. That's one of those things that has that age factor. And there was some research that says that men can actually see a dynamic target better than women, which I think we just need some new data. on that. <laughs> and how can we train it? So training, very similar to all those other things that we were talking about. Um, it, it's all about moving targets. And we talked about putting letters and colors on baseballs. You can even talk about um, how you're moving in your environment. If I am doing a convergence exercise with a Brock string, 
which, you know, all, uh, all the optometrists will say, oh yeah, Brock strings. But for everyone else, it's, it's a, a rope that has different colored beads on it. And you have to converge your eyes in order to be able to get depth off of these beads. And a lot of um, regular vision therapy uh, practices will have you use Brock strings and just do it straight ahead. But when we start dealing with athletes, we need them to be able to maintain depth perception while they have movement. And we also look at how they can do that and how accurately they can do it in different sports specific gazes. I need a baseball player to have good depth perception here and in their batting stance. I need a basketball player to have good depth perception, not just here, but also when they're looking up at the basket in order to make that shot, right? Um, same thing if I talk about, uh, here's a static sport where they don't have dynamic vision in play, but a golfer needs to be able to look down and keep that golf ball nice and centered and know where they are. Now, does it become dynamic once they start to swing? Well, it depends on how good the mechanics of their swing are, if they're keeping their head still or if there's some movement that's in play there. Uh, very important skill. Thanks for bringing that one up. As far as moving your head, how important is it to keep your head still when you're playing golf or you're hitting a baseball? Um, it's important, but you need to be able to compensate for anything that may happen. That's what I would say, right? Um, it's tough for us to uh, make sure that we don't mess with mechanics of how everything happens when we're doing vision training, right? Um, I've heard people say, you know, that they should change their, their batting stance to get their, their face more forward and more open stance, which I would never do that, right? What I would do is recommend to the coach, potentially, you know, is this something that could help the athlete? Uh, and we would work together on a team, right? Because vision's a piece of the puzzle, but I know it's not the whole puzzle. So it is a skill that would be helpful if you could keep your head still, but it's not always going to be the case. I guess in tennis also, if you're going to make a tennis shot and you have a big, your nose is big and you cut off one of your eyes, you'll you could you could have you could have trouble with your death perception and make it difficult to hit, hit the sweet spot of the racket. You absolutely could, and I say it all the time that I think that tennis and lacrosse are arguably two of the most visually demanding sports. Everybody always talks about baseball because we think about the speed of the ball, but if you think about one of these other sports where you have so much more in play, you not only have a target coming at you at a high rate of speed that you need to judge but you also have to keep track of where the net is or where the goal is, where your boundary lines are, you're in motion, you're, uh, the person you're playing um, is also in motion and you're not only having to have a cognitive skill to say, I'm going to move to where that ball is, where that target is, I'm going to hit it, like you said, with the center of the racket, but you're also having to process where you are in space that you're not going to go out of bounds and that, that extra level is planning where your opponent is so you can hit the ball uh, to where they're going to be able to receive it. Or if you talk again, like back to lacrosse, where you have your, uh, your players that you might need to get the ball to versus everyone else that's on the field and keeping track of that. And, and how's your, there's just so many skills that are involved there, which is going back to, again, how is vision not arguably the most important skill that you need. And I would love to see research done on um, different sports to see at what level those players receive vision care, right? Because maybe someone's at this level and never had vision care and they could have been even better if it weren't for that. Um, but maybe people get weeded out early because they didn't have that vision care. And you think of a, a socioeconomics type standpoint where I, I have a lot of golfers and a lot of tennis players that uh, have always worn contacts or glasses since they were really young, where I have other athletes that haven't had vision care until they get to us. And like I said, how much better could they have been? Or what athletes were there in that pool that didn't make it because vision held them back? 
Well, we know professional teams are uh, utilizing optometrists to improve vision. So eventually that's going to trickle down to college and high school and even elementary once people realize you can train vision. The pros are always way ahead of everybody else. They have the resources, but people through podcasts like this are going to be able to understand how important this is. Now, let's talk about some of the advanced training uh, or advanced techniques like the Synaptech. Tell us about some of those. Let's start um, with that one. Let's start with Synaptec. I believe you utilize that. I do. Uh, I have a Synaptec sensory station, which is the, the big giant screen. Um, so we have uh, not only great uh, testing procedures that we can do on that, but also um, training procedures as well. It's great for the doctors because it gives us such a comprehensive uh picture after an evaluation that we can show everyone it comes off I, I always call it like a spider web grid where if their visual or if their score is low in the percentile it's in the center and if they're great it's out in the distance on the edge you can be compared to other uh, com- competitors that are at the same uh, level of the same sport even at the same position uh, so you see how you do compared to other people like you and it looks at visual acuity, visual clarity, there's target capture, there's multiple object tracking, there's eye-hand coordination, there's go-no-go, so many different things that we can evaluate. And then when you train on this device, of course, it's really cool. That's that's what it comes down to. Um, I feel like I can do a lot of really good training with this type of stuff, but, you know, if you get an athlete in front of a, a Synaptec station or put an oculus on them and have them do vr training sometimes just that 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 cool factor can help to keep compliance going because that's what you want you don't want to just show them an activity and then they say hey, that was cool and then they don't do it because then you're not going to have that training benefit you need them to actually like what they're doing and work it into their routine i think that's really important so then that brings me away from the synaptic sensory station because they can do that in my office But what's really great now is there's an at-home training platform where I can assign them uh, different training programs to do on their own tablet handheld device. And I can give them sports specific, do this uh, before you go to to your practice or before you go to training, maybe during homeroom. If you don't have any homework, you can have your tablet with you and you can do some, some vision training while you're there. And it's, it's made it a lot more accessible and helps to drive compliance. That VR training that they that people could use at home, what's that called? So there are a few different ones that we're looking at right now. Um, WinVR is really big with baseball. That's a pitch recognition type application. Very realistic. And they even have something in beta testing where you can put attachments on your bat and take swings at virtual pitches. And it's an actual pitching library like they even have um, data off specific teams specific pitchers that's not part of their general package but really really cool Um, another one that we are starting to um, that would be really interesting because Otani could hit off himself to see if he could hit that that's really funny I'm surprised no one else has said that yeah that's awesome Um, no it's okay that's great um, we're also looking at um, something called NeuroTrainer that we're uh, really liking right now uh, and potentially looking at implementing that with several of our teams. And what I like about it is that it is, um, it's definitely working on the, the cognitive and the visual perceptual end of vision training. Um, and they even have this, this whole mindset that you can prime an athlete if you are doing specific skills, um, building a certain amount of frustration, how can you overcome that and then still keep going, which is something that every athlete has to do on the field at one point or another and priming them to their, their perfect peak of you did this training. Now go out and, and go do your practice, go to your batting practice or go do whatever it is you do because now your brain's ready. It's, it's, like warming up essentially your your cognitive system which you you might stretch and do muscle warm-ups but are we warming up our our mental and our visual system to perform at its peak so it's it's something we really are interested in doing more 
neurotracker, is that something they do in your office or is that something at home? So neuro, neuro trainer, I, there is another uh, multiple object tracking program called neuro tracker. So okay. I don't want to, um, neuro tracker is um, uh, the non VR version. The VR version is neuro trainer. And to answer your question. Are they made by the same company? They're not, they're not. They're okay. not. Um, that's something that um, we can have them do here in our office, or we've actually set it up at um, different uh teams where they can do it in their training facility or they can do it at home and that's one of the things that we do at our office is we have um, oculus systems that we will you know loan out for the month in order for them to take advantage of this type of training platform if they might not be able to do it on their own how about game sense game sense is another good one gosh there are so many that are that are gaining a lot more traction now and we're big fans of game sense um they're one of the the companies at sports vision pros actually um is big on uh, uh talking about i guess just because anything that we can do right anything that we can do to enhance that that visual cognitive uh end of play is something that sometimes is left off the table Right. If you're just hitting balls at batting practice all day versus actually getting this extra type of training, it it could potentially take you to that next level. And how does Game Sense work and what does it do? Hang on, I'm gonna I'm gonna stop you on that question because I think I might there are two different programs that we utilize and I don't want to get Game Sense confused with another one. So let's talk about Game Sense. So GameSense is similar to WinVR, except it is not in the, the virtual reality platform. So it's something that you can take advantage of if you don't necessarily have an Oculus headset. So what is some of your absolute favorite sophisticated tests? We talked a little bit about some of them. Uh, let's talk about the tracking one, that, that, uh, the eye tracking one. Yeah, so right eye is definitely right. one of my favorites. Um, I don't use right eye for training, and I will tell you that they do have um, training applications. And um, sometimes I might use their training platform for my head injury patients, but not necessarily for um, my my sports performance. But the reason I like right eye so much is because when we're looking at eye movements, it's so much subjective, you know, the doctor looks at it and how do you quantify an eye movement? There are different ways, but it's, it's like grading them like a one to a four and do they overshoot or do they undershoot? Are they smooth? Are they jerky versus putting them in front of this screen with the tracker across the bottom and they do very basic tasks. They, they watch a ball go around in a circle horizontal pursuits, vertical pursuits. They do cicades back and forth, fast eye movements, left and right, up and down. Um, there's also a way to, remember I keep talking about the difference between what you see, how you process and how, how you respond. There's a, por a portion of right eye that's called um, choice reaction. And then they have discriminant reaction where you're looking, it's very, it's cool. It's kind of gamified. You're looking at um, a solar system and you're gonna have a target pop up in a different quadrant. It might be an alien, an astronaut, or a, or a globe. So let's say I have an alien pop up on top. It's going to measure the latency, the slowness between when the alien pops up and my eye actually starts to move at all, right? So that's picking up how quickly I can see that target. And then it's also going to judge the speed, the visual reaction speed from me getting from the solar system to the alien. And then it's going to give me the breakdown of time between when my eyes got to that target and then I decided to press number one that corresponds with an alien. So it lets me um, kind of further whittle out where there might be a weakness. And it's something that I can't really do right now with any other software, any other equipment. And it's always a piece of the puzzle for me. I love to do um, when I'm dealing with a sports patient and not necessarily a concussion patient. I love to do a full synaptic um, screening as well as the right eye evaluation. So I can say, well, it looks like they're, they were a little bit uh, slow on um, their, their motor response on this one. Does that correlate to this? Or can I say that maybe a part of this weakness can be attributed to this? Because again, 
time is money for, for athletes. You know, even if it's a student athlete, you only have so much time because they're, they have so much on their plate. So if I have someone that is in a performance evaluation program with me, I only want to do what is going to help them the most. It's never a, here's all my training things I like to do. It's always going to be custom tailored and having sophisticated software like RideEye really helps me to do a great job at that. And you take that information and then you use it for training, but not necessarily the right eye training. Exactly. Will you, will you use the right eye training for concussion? I do. Um, so for concussion, it's a lot of um, the same types of things I would want to do in free space, but it's just guided in a way that I know exactly what they're going to do. For instance, if a concussion patient has really horrible um, peripheral awareness, Spatial localization, um, teaming with their where they are in space and um, what their visual system's taking in. One of my favorite free space exercises to do is see. How, let's see how good I can explain this over Zoom. So um, you have to do it with one eye, but I have them look at a uh, about ten feet away a target that's like a TV screen or a picture frame, something that has four corners, and I have them put their thumb in line with the top left corner. And then I say, okay, you're looking at that top left corner. Don't look to the top right corner. Keep your eyes pointed here, but I want you to use your peripheral awareness to see that that other corner is over there. And then when you're ready, I want you to make one movement, only moving your eye and your thumb to that other corner. And usually you'll see them go like, because it overshot, right? So then we say, how was it? Did you hit it? Did you overshoot it? Did you undershoot it? And then they learn from that. And then they go to the next quadrant. And we'll do that in, you know, I do Zs. So it takes in, you know, all the movements you do when you read. And then we'll do boxes. So you also have like a vertical integration there. Um, and if I have someone that I know is a great patient and they're going to be on board with it and they're really going to take the most out of that task, I'm fine. But you know, I'm going to have those, uh, those guys that just want to get back on the field and they're going to say, okay, Nancy told me to do 10 Z's and 10 boxes. And they're just going to run through those tasks. Those are the perfect players for me to assign the right eye vision training because it's very similar. It's, it's like, look at the dot, move your head. And now there's a different dot and move your head or move your eyes. And it just gives more structure to the things that I would like them to be able to do in free space. And um, of course we can see if they're actually doing it or not, which is important. For the athletes that take to heart what you're telling them about and start and train really hard their eyes, how yep. long does it take to see some improvement? So this is something that um, again, varies by patient, but I don't have people in six month vision therapy programs uh, for rehab there are always exceptions. There are always more extreme cases where it takes longer. But if I can get good buy-in and compliance with my patients, um, typically I will see them for about a month before I will be able to say, I've got things where they are much better. It looks like they're at their baselines and then they'll go back to my neuropsychologist for you know another reevaluation. And that's what will usually happen is they'll They'll have their initial docs that they see. Again, sometimes it's not neuropsych, sometimes it's NDs or DOs. Um, they say, okay, red flag, there's a visual issue. So let's send you to vision. And then once Dr. Nanasi says you're good, then we bring you back and then they'll look at all those cognitive elements. And a lot of times, um, gosh, I had one of, my, one of my docs call me early on and say, did you actually fix her with glasses? And I was like, yeah, I guess I did, you know, because her visual system was struggling so much um, that that's all, all I needed to do was just catch that gas can. Um, another quick example, um, I had a patient that was a year out from a, a car accident that had to drop out of school and because um, he, he couldn't drive his car, he couldn't read without getting horrible headaches, he came down my hallway wearing glasses and holding onto the wall. And um, of all of the, the therapy that he did, and there are some, there's some great therapists out there, um, doctors of physical therapy, OTs, doing great things, including vision training stuff. But you could have 
pencil push up this kid to death and gave him as many Z's and boxes. But when I saw his eye movements, I said, he needs prism. He needs a little bit of prism to help his eye alignment. I did a before right eye test on him, watching his eye movements, which were like this, put some just in a trial frame, light prisms on him and it instantly smoothed out and he could stand up straighter and walk down the hall better. And that's one of those things, again, that it's just, it's, it's all about education and awareness. And it's, it's telling our colleagues even that the vestibular therapist that often we refer back and forth that the eyes and the, the balance system work so closely together that, um, that sometimes if, if it's just not making sense for you and you can't get them better, send them to the other guy, you know, because we might have the piece of the puzzle. Now, I don't even remember what the original question was. I'm talking, let's also answer the question about with athletes. Forget about the uh, concussion patients, okay. athletes that are trying to improve their skills through vision. How long, how long does it take before you see some good effects? Um, it depends on if there are underlying problems Maybe if they have, uh, maybe if they do have a, a slight eye alignment or um, something that we're trying to fix versus, you know, baseline, your visual, your visual foundation is great. Let's just work on that next level. I will typically do um, a six week training for someone. Um, and it may involve um, visits to our office and it will very likely involve them doing at home and at facility training, whether it's, you know, they need to do it at their, their baseball academy, or they need to do it at their, at their tennis camp or whatever it is that they're doing. I love it when I have two people at the same time, just because they, they work together. A lot of the activities that we do, you need a second person. Uh, that I think is my best case scenario, or I like it when I have someone that works with them actually come in for that training education for them because then they'll be the ones that are helping them to implement that program you know being realistic that i would love if i could if i could do nothing but vision training and uh, and just see athletes all day long at my practice you know myself and james my vision trainer would love that but we have to be realistic and if we want this to really be a part of what they do and not this one thing that i did for six weeks that's where you have to involve the athletic trainers and the coaches and the parents and educate the athlete, you know, to be their best advocate where they can say, I know it's normal for me, what's not, and I know when I need help. And um, if for some reason they do some training and some of their skills start to slip a little bit or they have a bad game, I want them to know not just what I'm telling them to do, but why. So they can say, you know, maybe I should do some of that training again because they'll have the tools at home so they can just go back and do it again. How about eye dominance? How important do you think that is and what is it? Uh, so eye dominance, that's like the big debate between most sports vision docs is like, how important is it? So you have one eye that kind of is the boss of your two eyes. It has a very, very slight difference in the um, amount of speed that it takes to process information from that eye. And if there's ever a discrepancy between the two eyes, one of them will usually take over to avoid you seeing double. Um, best way to, to test this in just an environment for anybody watching this is to take your hands, cross your thumbs and make a small triangle. We talk, call this the triangle test. And then just hold your, um, hold your hands up in front of the screen and put the little picture of my nose right in the middle of your triangle. And so I'm doing this and I bet you can tell doc, which eye am I looking through? Your right eye. Yeah, so I'm right eye dominant. So if I close that eye, all of a sudden I can't see you anymore. And if I close the other one, it's gone, right? So you should have one eye that's kind of the boss. And um, does it matter for sports? Most sports, no, because depth perception is what's important. We want both eyes to see really well, shooting is one of the one of the rarities where it does help to have a specific eye dominant just because of the way that you have to hold your weapon but but of course we would never suggest that somebody you know changes the way they hold their weapon or you know um, let's train one eye to be you know more dominant than it is 
It's just kind of like, it's urinate. It is what it is. The only time that I really take it into account for my athletes is if we're on the fence about whether or not we need to give a visual correction or not. If the dominant eye is not seeing as well, you know, I would say, you know, what we really probably need to, to improve that dominant eye to give you your best overall reaction. Um, that being said, if we're talking about contacts with athletes, which we usually are, I have to be able to use a great lens that performs well, because it's also possible for you to reduce contrast sensitivity that we talked about. If you have a contact lens on the eye that dries out and doesn't keep a really clear tear film. Also, as a sports vision doc using a contact lens, I don't just care about if they can read that static visual acuity letter in front of them. I want to know what happens when you're in your normal stance. If it's your batting stance that's, that your head is slightly turned, or how about if you're playing tennis and you have, to, you have to run at the ball like this, how much do those lenses for astigmatism move? So I know if it's worth it to do that lens for astigmatism and have, um, you know, what if you're your 2015 better than 2020 if your head's straight, but then you tilt your head and all of a sudden you're 2025. Is it better to just give them a different type of correction that doesn't correct the astigmatism and just gives them a solid 2020 no matter where they look or how their head posture is? So that's another thing that we have to take into account with those athletes. And how do you train depth perception and can you really improve it through training? So you, you, can to an extent, right? So um, what we know we can improve is if we get better clarity between the two eyes, it's possible to easily get better depth. And that's something like in that one case scenario, I said, you know, you have one athlete that can see great out of one eye, not the other, have them do a depth perception test, and then give them the correction. And all of a sudden, they get that depth that they didn't have before. Um, it's harder to train depth or, or stereopsis per se, um, but it is something you can train when you talk about um, spatial awareness and depth. Let's talk about a golfer. Let's talk about a 15 putt, 15 foot, 15 foot putt versus a 30 foot putt and their ability to be able to accurately judge how far they are from that hole so they know how hard they need to hit the ball um, or a little bit of a a combination of depth and contrast again, being able to read the greens. Reading the greens is literally how accurately are you judging those changes in contours and depth, which are a combination of how you're viewing binocularly and how the light is hitting off the grass. So I might have a, like a, a training drill for that might be um, actually did. I think I did a small video with my kids in the backyard with this, where I put a bunch of different types and sizes of balls in the yard and said, all right, let's figure out how many steps it takes you to get to this ball and then say, okay, go back to your starting point. How many steps do you think it will take to get to the next ball? And you can make that drill more difficult by using all the same balls, because then what do you have? you have localization clues. Like if it's bigger looking, it's closer to me. If it's smaller, it's farther away. But then I can mess with that by throwing in different size balls. So that's another example of how you could do training of something that again, people wouldn't maybe even think that they could do. Something that eye doctors know about is a lot of professional athletes take carotenoids or take different supplements to help the build up the macular pigment. So what supplements do athletes take to help build the macular pigment and how does that help athletes and in what sports does it help? Right. So there are a few different brands out there. So without specifically mentioning brands, I'll tell you that the, the carotenoids that you mentioned for our general public, um, those are the, the three kind of building blocks that are naturally found in our macula. So we like to use lutein, uh, zeaxanthine, in some cases, mesozeaxanthine to build up that pigment layer that you have in your macula. And think of your pigment layer as your built-in sunscreen. It's, it's great to have a nice dense pigment there to keep your macula healthy and safe, but a lot of studies are now telling us that we can improve our contrast sensitivity. Again, that word, um, your reaction to light and dark, which why do I care about that? I don't think we, we mentioned that. 
what if I'm a wide receiver and I'm in a, a field or a stadium that has areas of shade versus not having shade? You need to be able to run from one area to the other without you know, losing the ball. Uh, that's important with baseball, obviously, catching pop flies as well. Uh, so if we can give them something that might even just enhance a little bit for them, you know, for, for athletes, sometimes a little bit goes a long way. I mean, what's the difference in one bat versus another? An athlete might tell you it's a whole lot. So again, you got to see the ball before you hit it. So if I can give you a supplement that may make you be able to see that ball a little bit better, is it worth it? And you run into uh, different issues as far as um, uh, not compliance, but regulations as far as being able to recommend supplements or not, especially with student athletes, it's an issue. But just as a, a general athlete coming in, it's something that I 100% uh, recommend as something to at least consider. Now, that, now, now that's great. Now, do you guys test macular pigment? We do. Um, so we can test the function as well as the structure in our office. And it's not something we always do with athletes. Um, I did it, last time I did it, I think was with a shooter um, that was over the age of 40. Um, so we can test the uh, structure by looking at an MPOD, which tests the macular pigment density and gives me a reading. And then I can test the function by putting in that dark, uh, putting them in our uh, AdaptDX, which is our dark adaptation device. So you literally, blast them with this bright light and then you see how long it takes them to then be able to see another small light target again and, and get rid of that bleaching that happens. Jim Stringham, who is a PhD, who's done a lot of work at, at Duke, I interviewed him for the podcast and people could go back and watch that. And he's done a lot of work with athletes and increasing macular pigment through routine zeaxanthin, mesal zeaxanthin, and have found quite a bit of improvement. And I believe Lisa Renzi as well, who also was interviewed. Something I do want to talk to you about, I want to ask you, is that my son's coach was a minor league player for the for the uh, Giants, baseball and baseball, the uh, San Francisco Giants. And he said they used to use a machine that would throw the ball like a, would pitch it like at a, like tennis balls, like at 120 miles an hour. And they would have to look at writing on the ball and, 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 or colors or whatever. Have you ever seen that in action? And do you think that helps? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so they'll use, uh, they call them jug machines that like chuck out the, the balls at different rates of speed and absolutely. And that's something that can easily be integrated into any training program. Um, you know, cause all you need to do is just use different balls or color on the ones that you have. Um, it's all about, um, that, that idea of if you can see something that's really challenging then the bigger normal target is, is easy. And that's something that, again, I, I would highly recommend every athlete has a comprehensive eye exam and sees a professional. But uh, if there are people out there that are working you know, with kids now, that's something that you can do tomorrow that definitely has a lot of research behind it that it can help you. Focusing and accommodating on a full speed baseball that's something that's harder to um, train necessarily because there's a, a natural latency into how quickly you can actually accommodate on a ball. Uh, so if you're doing full speed, you might be better off with colors than uh, letters or numbers. Interesting, you know, because, you know, when people are playing tennis and someone serves a hundred miles an hour, it's actually a slow serve. But in baseball, it's a fast pitch. So it seems like the eye could get used to it is kind of just what they're used to. I think you're right. I think you're right. And it's, um, it's surprising sometimes how much information the visual system can take in. And multiple object tracking tests are the perfect example of that. When you think about, you know, you're at a, a football game and they do the, the ball under the helmet type drill. Can you see which of the three helmets that the ball is under? Um, when you talk about um, platforms like Synaptech or NeuroTracker, you can track like nine targets at one time. 
and it takes soft focus. And that's what you're using when you're tracking those balls too, is you can't, you can't necessarily just keep watching the same one when you have multiple targets, you have to kind of step back and take that in. And I think the reason why you can see that tennis ball coming at you at that crazy high rate of speed is because they start when they're young right? And the balls aren't coming that fast. And as you progress, they get faster and faster. And your brain has that neuroplasticity and your ability changes. And I know a hundred percent that if I put a pro tennis player, you know, next to me and they look at the same ball coming at them and I look at the same ball, I know that we are seeing it in a very different way. Now uh, you work with the Miami Dolphins. What are some of the specific techniques they use that maybe we didn't mention to improve uh, their ability? I know depending on the position, if it's a quarterback, if it's a wide receiver, it's a lineman, it might be a little bit different. But what are some of the things that you use to try to improve their performance? Uh, again, when we talk about the pros, we need to make sure that we're only doing what really, really is going to benefit. Um, so sometimes in some situations, we might have athletes that we want to work on their tracking ability. So we might, you know, have them use the strobe glasses or, um, you know, they have the one of the different types of light boards in their facility. Uh, I say light board just kind of as a, a general because there are so many different ones. Um, you know, there's the um, Wayne, uh, like the Wayne board. How does that work? Yeah. actually? So they're all, they're all a little bit different. So there are some um, that have tactile um, components to them where you can actually feel the buttons versus other ones that are flat. Uh, most of them can be programmed in different ways. Some of them are larger than others. Um, the D2 DynaVision is one that has a lot of great research behind it. Uh, the Cincinnati studies actually use DynaVision if I'm not mistaken. And um, even Synaptech that I have has that ability. Uh, the name is, uh, I, can't, I can't remember the name, iCare is the company, but they bought out um, basically Wayne Engineering uh, and then re redid everything. And they have a really great board as well, as well as several others. Now I feel bad not saying all of them. There's one that is very portable um, and folds up. So it's easy to uh, transport and then it folds out. Uh, but that's something that, again, if a team is interested in getting that type of technology, they want to talk to someone that knows all the various options, because just because you heard of one company or that company happened to approach you doesn't mean it's necessarily the best option for you. Benovi, is that possible? Is it that one? Benovi. Yes, 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 yes. Good. Okay, good. It was all... Is there anything that I didn't ask you that you'd like to uh, tell the audience that we didn't cover? I think you did a great job of asking the question. So I think we covered most of it. Uh, just another plug for having an eye exam and every optometrist out there, um, every eye care provider out there is going to be able to at least get you started on what you need and should have if you or someone you love is playing a sport. And just knowing that if there is potential for a head injury there, that don't just see your regular doctor, but also consider seeing the eye care provider, especially if there is a reduction in the ability to do what you need to do to get through school or work. It's a piece of the puzzle that's so often left out. And if you can be your own advocate and make sure that you get that care, it can keep you safer, get you back to learn, get you back to work, get your kids back to play, and everyone will be better for having that eye care that can be provided by an optometrist. If somebody wants to find out more about Dr. Amanda Nanasi, where can they find you? How can they find out more about you? So my website is floridasportsvision.com. And I'm also a proud partner uh, with Sports Vision Pros. So sportsvisionpros.com. That's our, our public and interprofessional facing platform where we're trying to do our best to educate everyone on how important vision care is. And if you have a question, that's where we're hoping you'll be able to go and get all of the answers eventually. If it's, you know, what kind of eyewear should my kid wear that's actually sports safe to should I consider vision training or, you know, tell me what the 
all the goalie coaches are doing right now. We've got interviews and all kinds of great information that you don't even have to pay for. So just join up and become a member. Well, I want to thank Dr. Amanda Nanasi for joining me today. She's a wealth of information and she's really fantastic. So anybody out there that needs eye care that's in Florida, that needs vision training, wants to improve their sports ability, go see Dr. Nanasi. You know, she's with, the, she's with the Miami Dolphins. So she knows what she's doing. She has a great reputation. And uh, we really appreciate be her being with us today. So I want to wish everybody great health and to have great eye care. And this is Dr. Kerry Gelb for Open Your Eyes. Fitting multifocal contact lenses presents a big opportunity to meet patient needs while growing your practice. Alcon is your partner, not only with our innovative portfolio, but through e-learning. Learn to enhance your multifocal strategy today with the Alcon Experience Academy. Since I bought Safe For You, my dad makes me clean his boat. It's natural y es un buen producto. Every time I go back to school, my mom always makes sure that I have my Safe For You products. I bring extra and my roommates certainly don't mind. It's a good thing I had Safe For You to clean up after this little guy. When my hands get dry, I like to wash them with Safe For You. And most importantly, the reason why I buy Safe For You is because it's safe for me and you.